Good morning or good afternoon or good evening. My name is Vivian Aqua, the inclusive workplace wellness advocate. And yes, I have to be honest, I'm tired. I am tired of this lockdown. I'm tired of homeschooling part-time. And there's something else that I'm tired of. But first, let me address this. I hold diverse conversation with diverse people because I believe in the power of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And who am I to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion whilst not inviting other people? Because I believe that when you hold diverse panels or panels about DE&I or DNI or DEI and belonging, I also feel like when you talk about people, bring them to the table, but I'm going to address that in a later section. So um, I am holding a special webinar for those who missed out on the Amplify DEI Mentoring Circle. So the webinar will be held in on the 8th of February, which is 5, uh, 5.15 p.m. Central European time and 11.15 a.m. Eastern time. If you missed and if you want to know more about the Amplify DEI Mentoring Circle, you can sign up. Uh, be mindful of the capital letters because it's AMP DEI and then V2. So be mindful of the capital letters. But if you want to know the link, I'll definitely share that later. Um, I was referring to something that I did or I attended this week. So last week I attended a webinar about diversity and inclusion. And today I attended a webinar about diversity and inclusion. And I find it very challenging to see people on the panel uh, speak up about something that they don't feel or they don't realize. And especially here in the Netherlands, they don't want to acknowledge and I was also attending a, um, a session with a lady and she was talking about, you can't fix what you can't, what you don't acknowledge. And here in Europe or definitely in the Netherlands, apparently we don't have a diversity problem. Apparently we don't have a racism problem. Apparently we don't have a discrimination problem. Apparently we don't have the other problem. Apparently we have all the different labels of diversity and we need to address that. I'm just spreading a little salt. And the salt is me being sarcastic about you have a problem. Because if you cannot look in towards the future within five or 10 years, you'll be missing out on clients. You'll be missing out on talent. You'll be missing out on external stakeholders. So I would say if you want to keep the elephant, because we have our own Dutch saying, it's like not ignoring the, the elephant in the room or the, ignoring the elephant in the, in the porcelain cabinet, or as I would say, keep maintaining the ostrich size. So this is me being livid. I'm livid from the inside because I have a son who is seven. And when I see the conversations that we are having with white, diverse, gender diverse conversations where you're talking about the people who are coming from a marginalized background, when you're not including them in the conversation, then how are you going to help fix the problem? I am not saying that you don't have any right to talk about it, but I am done with the conversations about the other people we, who you are not inviting 
to have a seat on the table and have a conversation, a real to real conversation about what you can do, what your company can do, and what we can do collectively together to help in a constructive way to fix what needs to be fixed. But then again, I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm Ghanaian roots, and apparently I don't feel no pain because we here in the Netherlands, we apparently don't have a problem. I'm just adding some salt there. But another thing that I want to address, I'm seeing companies who definitely have a budget, a bigger budget than what I have, and are struggling to find diverse panels. And if you have been watching the conversations that I've been having on Let's Humanize the Workplace, you should know that I've definitely should have inspired you to include diverse voices and showcase the power of diversity. But if you have missed it, let's start again. I am going to bring up a few people to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how we can do that. But I'm not the only person who's talking about it because again, I am including my other people. People are also knowledgeable, people are also experts, and people who have a diverse intersectional background, get it, get it, get, get, just, just, just a quick formula that I'm sharing. I cannot talk about diversity and inclusion and equity without bringing it towards the table. So today, I am going to talk to Regina, Megan, and Karen, and we are going to talk about how DEI can impact employee retention. Let me bring them back. I'm not always this salty, but today with this lockdown and everything that I've experienced lately, I have to. But bear with me because I want to properly introduce them as well. So first of all, Regina. Regina uh, Motayeme. She is a Gen X Dutch native global citizen and is a DEI trailblazer with a long career in program management and operation. Megan Abman lives with the purpose of inspiring confidence and empowerment. Her mission is to foster the most equitable and inclusive working experience. Karen Liu, she is a DEIB, so I'll explain it, diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging champion purpose-driven leader and technologist. Her mission is to inspire moments of meaning and beauty through human connection. I am Vivian Aqua and I'm sitting here from Amsterdam. So if I can reach out to people who are living across the pond and across the pond is the US, Colorado. And I, again, I don't have a budget, the budget of the big companies, but I make it happen. Learn from that. Now I'm done. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to this conversation. And let's start with the first question. So why do we need to humanize the workplace of the virtual workplace? And let's start with you, Karen. First of all, thank you, Vivian, for what you do for the world. Um, you know, I think this is genuinely one way that we can make the whole world better. We all spend so much of our lives at work and for, you know, many people, hey, work just might be the most diverse place in their lives, mm. right? Yeah. And of course, the workplace is made up entirely of humans. So it follows that when people are happy and they're inspired and they're feeling supported and like they belong, they're going to do better work. And from a business standpoint, that translates to greater productivity, 
innovation, profit, loyalty, all the good stuff, right? But that only works if you're able to see people as humans, not as resources, as they're so often referred to in the corporate space. That's why I'm so happy we're talking about um, retention today, because it's so important to take care of everybody once they're in the door and not just focus on what can otherwise feel like a very tokenizing process, right? So, I love that. I yeah, love that. I Vivian, definitely love that. I was listening to and it this earlier. Is this. <laughs> <laughs> this is this. I also wanted to add that on top of the, the yumminess, what you just shared, I also want to add if you can create the ideal DNI culture or the ideal workplace culture, you wouldn't be having to spend that much on marketing. Imagine your company full of brand ambassadors. Imagine your company full of advocates who are advocating for your brand and talking about how good it is to work there, talking about how good the brand is. Spot on. Thousand percent. And Vivian, you know, I was listening to an earlier episode of your podcast and I loved what another panelist said um, about the need to normalize the humanity mm. in the workplace. Yes. Oh my gosh, that yeah. resonated yeah. so much yeah. with me. Um, you know, nobody, I'd say nobody's thriving right now. So <laughs> those of us Definitely. who are able to survive, uh, I think it's partly because work had to get a lot more personal and probably the more supported you felt by your work, the more loyal you are right now. Definitely. We also have a comment from Haidar, Haidar, who works at ABN. Thanks, Haidar, for sharing your good luck message. And Regina, what do you want to see? Yeah, well, first of all, again, thank you, Vivian. You are awesome. So much power. Um, thank you <laughs> thank for having you. us and thank you for everything that you do. But yeah, like, like Karen said, workplaces, organizations, they are made off of people. So how can you not focus on people first, right? It seems silly looking back what we did. And like you said, I'm a Gen Xer. I've been in a workplace over 25 years. I'm from the old days where you left your, your, your personal self at home, right? With your feelings and your emotions and you put your professional suit on and your professional self went to work and there you were doing your task, et cetera. That doesn't work anymore. That's not the world we live in anymore. We're focused on people and thankfully we are because every organization is made of people. And when they feel that they bring that extra value and they have that sense of belonging and they feel that they truly matter versus just being another resource, mm -hmm. that leads to so much wealth for the company. That makes the company and the organization really come alive. And that leads to making brand ambassadors and that leads yep. to innovation and that leads to growth. So I'll just leave it there. <laughs> I just want to say, you mentioned something, resources. I'm not a big fan of HR. HR people, those who are HR champions, I'm a big fan of you. I'm not a big fan of the traditional HR. I'm not a fan of seeing human resources because I'm not a resource. I'm a talent. I'm a person. Behind me is my family. If something happens to me, my family is impacted and they will hear about the workplace, they will hear about the company. So let's treat each other as people, but also remind ourselves that behind us is a huge village. Right. And especially with the social media that we have, the village is easy approachable. Megan. Awesome. 
I love this question. And thank you so much for having us on here. You're welcome. Um, given my background in industrial organizational psychology, I fundamentally believe that an organization's differentiator on whether they succeed or fail is contingent upon the people there. It's yeah. not about the product or service that any company provides, because when you really think about it, rarely is there only one company that provides said product or said service. And it's not about the size of the company because, you know, a company's financial goals or strategies are of similar size, have similar projections and everything like that. So it's not that strategy. It's not about the product and service themselves is once again, the people there. So with this in mind that the people of the organization fuel its success, uh, we must honor and respect that. And the best way to do this is to go well beyond the transactional nature of work and begin mm -hmm. examining the psychological contract that each individual has about the relationship with work. So you may achieve this by humanizing the workplace, like we're talking about today. Um, and it also means that this is fostering a sense of belonging, encouraging folks to show up as their authentic selves, empowering all voices to contribute. And especially in a world of remote work, like we're experiencing now, it's important to acknowledge that there's a powerful distinction between physical distancing compared mm -hmm. to social distancing. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes when we conflate the two, this is where a lot of folks can feel the pain of the loneliness and that transactional relationship with work. And this pain is really powerful. There's a lot of great research out there demonstrating this. So to whomever is listening right now, uh, if you keep this distinction in mind between the social distancing versus the physical distancing, then how you humanize the workplace becomes a little bit more clear. Examining the level of connection, the level of perceived psychological safety, a sense of belonging, like play around with those strategies and have fun with how you can try out and enhance the level of connection that folks feel within your organization. And this, this will inject a sense of humanity in the work world uh, while also bolstering retention efforts as well because of that connection. Yeah, so we want to spike an increase of the social connection please that's yep. what you're sharing right yes exactly. we want that yeah <laughs> thank yes. you connect socially distance physically <laughs> thank you <laughs> so let's go to another challenging question because before i go to the the main topic let's address some of the topics let's address the, the challenges regina what mm -hmm. are the biggest diversity challenges what you can see and can you share one of the challenges that you see? Sure. Yeah, and let me also explain that the three of us together actually have a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging consultancy. It's called Strata mm -hmm. RMK. So I, I share that because we help a lot of organizations here in the United States and hopefully soon globally as well, exactly with this question. They struggle with that. Like we know we need to do something, but we're challenged. We don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. So to just focus on one, which is hard, because of course, <laughs> we need to start at one. We need right. to start I, at one to build yeah. upon the next. Yeah, very true. Um, I think any challenge is really rooted in a limited belief of understanding of what this actually entails. A lot of people, specifically in leadership, you know, they stop at oh diversity. I hire a few extra women and I check the yeah. box and I'm done and I'm moving on to the next thing in the company. So it's that lack of willingness to explore because in this field, there is no start line and a finish line. This is ever evolving. This is something that we constantly need to work on. It's like a muscle that we constantly need to train. 
And so starting with looking beyond gender and race and looking beyond just diversity and looking at inclusion and belonging and see what that means. Let's start there. Thank you. Megan? It's hard just to choose one. Um, but for me, it's really answering and asking yourself this question, like, how do I know what I'm doing is truly working? And mm -hmm. this is getting at the notion of whether or not your DEIMB presence is performative in nature, or if it's truly driving meaningful results and having a meaningful impact. I, I need to, I need to bring you back because you are just <laughs> dropping things and we need to also help, you know, help people that are not aware of what you just dropped. She just sprinkled performative just in between the conversation. But I want to also be aware of that. Some people who act performative, not addressing who, don't realize that they are performative. So maybe he just help them, help them in the conversation. Totally. Yeah. So when we're answering this first question of how do I know what I'm doing is truly working, in essence, you're examining whether or not your DEIMB presence is having that meaningful impact, or if it's just, you know, kind of going through the motions, checking the box, um, you know, more for yourself than it is for the people that you intend mm -hmm. to serve. And everyone knows the value of an inclusive workplace conceptually, but winning over the hearts of minds of everyone to achieve it is not all that simple. So no wonder companies feel or individuals feel compelled to look at what others are doing, copy it and hope for the same result. But this is where people, this can become problematic because what works for one company or what works for one individual is not necessarily applicable to this other context. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And this is where most often companies stumble when they're fostering an inclusive or equitable working experience and humanizing the workplace because they're not really seeing the people in front of them, but they think they know the people in front of them. So to help mitigate a performative DEI and B presence, I highly encourage folks to measure their efforts through employee engagement data and quantify those efforts to uphold their level of objectivity and accountability with this strategy. So I'll leave it there. but. Use data to mitigate performative DEI. Definitely. And include your people, include their voices. And if you don't get that much data, then that's also something that you need to be uh, attentive of, of addressing what can we do to get the data to do better? Or is there a reason why people are not being honest? Or is there a reason why people don't want to share their honesty? Provide that or, safety as well. Or is the organization even willing to take that risk to ask folks truly mm. what's going on? Definitely, definitely. Thanks, Andil, for watching as well. And Karen. Yes, thank you both so much. Um, so one of the biggest challenges I see organizations facing is that thinking this has to be some sort of a perfectly baked initiative or program to launch upon its employees. Um, so I'll give you an example, if that's okay. Um, one of the companies I worked with previously, it's a mid-sized tech company. Um, I ended up creating a rotational chief diversity officer role there. And the catalyst started when I perceived that the company just wasn't talking about DEIMB like at all. So, you know, we all know it's not just a moral imperative, it's objectively good for your business. So I started asking why not um, and just sort of voicing the importance of this conversation at work. And mm -hmm. one day I was talking to the head of people ops and she said, you know, we do have a program that we've been like working on and putting together. It's just not quite ready to launch yet. Would you like to help us? And of course I said, yes. 
And I think my first contribution was to help her see that there's no such thing as a perfectly baked program. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's always going to be a moving target. And I'm really not a fan of thinking about it as an initiative or program either. It's really like got to be part of your DNA and a way of life, right? So, and so while you're sitting there planning your program, the rest of us are sitting here thinking the silence means that this is something the company maybe doesn't care about. Exactly. A lot of damage, right? Exactly. So I think that was a real aha for the company, aha moment from there, then we were able to get started and learn and iterate from there. So the important thing really is just to start. And that in itself sends a stronger signal than you might realize. Exactly. I always tell my clients that when you don't share any transparency, even when you have your six month or your 12 month or your 60 month or whatever month goal, just share where you are in the process and if there is any movement because if you don't share people will create their own fairy tale story or their own horror movie about you not caring as a company about you not taking action and about you i am looking at those companies those people the pr branding people that remember in june when you shared that you cared and that you did blackout tuesday remember I'm holding you accountable because we are now six months in. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you in the process? Where are you to support your people? And it's not about you sharing. It's not about you sharing your story about where you are. I want you to tell your people because it matters to them. You have to work from the inside out before advocating outwards before letting other people know that these are the steps that you're taking inform your people inform your people i noticed that karen you shared something about gerald and gerald is here right now so gerald is also dropping something uh gerald was a previous guest speaker for the intersectionality uh conversation and also julie is in here as well She's sharing, we need to redefine what workplace. So everybody works remotely now. How do we keep our diversity visible? And how does that impact? I think it impact inclusion. That's a good one. Let's shift the dynamics and start with Megan. Sure. Um, So in answering that question, I think it's important to recognize that although folks may work for the same company, we have vastly different working experiences, Mm -hmm. whether in person or remote. So that said, I think um, DEIMB is a beautiful vessel that allows us to navigate the complexity of what it means to be human. And without appreciating this lens, this provides, how are we truly able to know how working experiences can vary within your workforce? So regardless of where you're working from, let's see if there, and examine if there are any discrepancies in the working experience. Um, And after you identify a few discrepancies in the working experience, then all of a sudden you can create and propose actionable and equitable action plans to then help mitigate that discrepancy. So let's talk about how we can, well, yeah, let's talk about how we can address this. Um, Oftentimes companies do a great job of examining their employee engagement data, right? Honing in on their susceptibility to attrition here, for example, given their Mm -hmm. topic. topic. But what companies often get wrong is that they knew, do not explore this data stratified by certain populations, nor measure it on a quarterly basis to examine any alarming trends. But sometimes they are, so, sorry to stop you, but sometimes 
it's also legally not allowed. Some countries are legally not allowed to uh, collect certain data because of the whole GDPR thing. So sometimes it is a challenge of a country since we are talking globally. And I know that some states do collect, some states don't prohibit collecting data. So sometimes there are challenges, but that doesn't mean that you cannot collect the data to do what you need to do. Yeah, and you can even reimagine what these populations look like. So for example, mm -hmm. if you're not able to work with demographic data, totally cool. Let's go yeah. ahead and examine if there are any discrepancies with job level, tenure, yeah. and, and those factors as well. Um, and then from there, once you hone in, then you can propose those equitable action plans. And when you see that discrepancy, go ahead and engage those folks and ask them their opinion. Why might this be the case? Stay, be curious, learn. And from there, now you can expand behind beyond the quantitative data and the qualitative data to then have and show and demonstrate your commitment to trying to foster the most equitable and inclusive working experience and embrace the process of everything. So I think that's a one way where you can still foster an inclusive working experience regardless of where you work. Hey, Fabian, okay, and if I may. Yeah? If I may, I would love to react to um, to the comment that was made in LinkedIn or in, in your chat box about mm -hmm. You know, now we're all over Zoom, but I also want to point out that actually I feel that in the in this um, age of Zoom meetings, there's an extra layer of humanity that also comes from working from home. It's not per mm -hmm. se a bad thing. We kind of remove this so-called professional layer of being in the office in your in your business suit, and now we're at home, and it's okay that you can see my bookcase and that I can see Megan's beautiful dog sleeping on the couch and. <laughs> I know we don't have uh, royalty in the U.S., but if we did, uh, Cassidy definitely <laughs> Yes, we love Cassidy. Um, but I think it brings a sense of connection and humanity also mm -hmm. to the workplace. So I'd like to shift that sort of negative thinking about Zoom meetings to something very positive because there's something beautiful about it, too. It is beautiful, but I do have to say something. Sometimes people change or no, sometimes people uh, exchange the normal meetings. So they used to have three hour meetings or four hour meetings in the office. They exchange that towards Zoom. And I'm just like, okay, now this is the well-being part speaking up, the, the advocate mm -hmm. in me speaking up and say, this Zoom fatigue is real don't go kidnapping people just because you want to chat for two hours if you want to chat for two hours call have a conversation without the video because this digital eye strain it is real it is heavy and it's causing people not to sleep at night and when they lose their sleep quality that's also stressful that's also you know impacting their engagement and that's also causing them to think if a company is holding these frequent meetings while I, I'm not able to work, maybe I need to go elsewhere. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I love what both of you said. I mean, I love that we've had to drop a lot of the polish. You don't see mm -hmm. craziness in my background because school just started back up two days ago. But, <laughs> you know, the Zoom fatigue is so real. And I've really mm -hmm. enjoyed like getting into habit of now 45 minute meetings so that you have yeah. a little break in between or like walking meetings where nobody's in the yes. video and you can take a walk outside and still have a really productive meeting. I think, you know, Yuli's question is such a good one because at the heart of it is about how the heck do you stay connected or connect in this weird virtual world. And it's a topic that's top of mind for so many people. And I think, um, you know, DEI and B, like at the heart of it is about building up rituals um, with your colleagues that feel authentic and genuine and sustainable. And there are different ways they're approaching building yeah. rituals, but it's certainly possible. Yeah. And when you hear a colleague or when you hear a team member not being able to speak up, don't go addressing that during the meeting, but call them after the meeting and say, hey, if everything okay, is there something wrong? Because I'm noticing something. Can I support you? Can I help you? And don't stop by, how are you? Ask the real deepened question so that they can give you a real answer. But coming back, um, Mark is asking, are there tools to obtain that data? And definitely enough tools. If you want to know more, I can definitely uh, share some names uh, for you. I'm not being sponsored by those tools, so I'm not going to drop their names just, just here. But if you want to know some names, I'll definitely share. But going back to the main topic, because we wanted to talk about how can DEI impact employee retention? Because what we are seeing now, and the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you is there is so much effort being put regarding the DEI challenges or regarding the DEI fixes that I see is we are bringing diverse ingredients into the company. We are onboarding them and romanticizing that relationship for the first, let's say, 30 days, 60 days. What are we doing afterwards? Because if, that, if those diverse ingredients or diverse people, or diverse talents are being, you know, they're being romanticized, they're, there is a relationship, and then all of a sudden the, relate, the love is gone. And the love is gone within six months, within one year, within two years, they're gone. Let's talk about that. Karen. Yes. So DEI and B efforts, um, they're really only effective in impacting employee retention when they go beyond diversity, right? <laughs> Just a little bit of what we talked about. Um, mm -hmm. And when they're genuine and not performative. So, you know, we know that millennials are the most demographically diverse generation in the workforce. Yeah. Gen Z, even more so. And we all overwhelmingly want to work for companies that value inclusion. Everybody's kind of craving that meaning. So just as an anecdote, you know, Megan, Regina, and I do a lot of training, um, particularly around the value of psychological safety. It's, it's one of the top correlates to high-performing teams, and yet it's a concept that, that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. So we hear from employees all the time that just the fact that we made space to do this training and talk about this at work already makes me feel safer, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? It's such a signal as to whether you're at a company that cares about its people and like cares about being on the right side of history at the end of the day. And it means a lot to the changing workforce. And by the way, like people can see right through if your efforts are performative, 
or oh, definitely. Genuine, you mean, know they can right? see they can look at google they can look at social media they can see everything so if you're just doing diversity for the cosmetics and they can see from linkedin again linkedin linkedin has a a tool or a page where you can see the people and you can see who's in the board just just dropping in it there that people are not stupid they know how to find out where how diverse the board is how diverse the management pool is and what your real diversity number is absolutely and it's not just about the numbers but like the ongoing commitment right so everything exactly. you do and the way you do it sends yeah. a signal so for example even with trainings if you're doing the training yeah. as a one-off you're like we got everybody check the box we're done that's that's a check the box approach. But if you're offering them in an ongoing way to kind of reinforce this common language and to welcome in new people, that sends yeah. a different message, right? It's like it's like also Regina said, and I I use this quote: diversity or the work of DEI. It's not a one night stand where you just you know you do your thing and you just forget about that person. Right. It's about keeping the marriage it's a marathon it's a marathon so now you remember dei is never ever a one-night stand and stop treating it like it because it's never a checkbox we need to train our muscles and we need to keep on doing the work that we do so that everybody and i mean everybody feels included in this whole spectrum regina yeah, well, I would say it is not even a marathon because there's no finish line, you know, it should always yeah. be ongoing. Um, yeah. But yeah, to add on to what Karen was saying so beautifully is um, add leadership into that, you know, mm -hmm. um, all this work should not sit within onboarding or within HR or within learning or development. It is part of everyday life in every single interaction, in every single meeting. And leadership is part of that. You cannot, as a leader, say to your chief of HR, you put this program in place and then we can check off the box and we move forward. No, mm -hmm. you as a leader, as a CEO, um, as a director should stand up and actually share your feelings around, maybe some experience that you've had yourself, show some vulnerability, create some trust, create a feeling because feeling is what people remember. It's not yeah. per se the action, right? It's the energy you create. It's the feelings you, um, you project and that you share with the people around you. And that should be ongoing. That should be part of everyday life in every action within the organization. Definitely. I do have two things that I want to share regarding what you just shared, because there are leaders that want to say something, but don't know where to start. But also mm -hmm. there are leaders that uh, want to say something, but they are afraid of saying the right thing or saying the wrong thing. And mm -hmm. there are leaders, you know, remember that image that I showed you in the beginning about the ostrich or about the elephant? Right. I'm not talking to those leaders. I'm talking to the leaders, the first two leaders that want to do better, that want to really do the work, hire a coach, hire somebody so that you sure. can train that muscle so that you are not walking on glass ceilings where you just fall through because you said something wrong. And also, we also have to give people credit. Yeah. We need to fall. We need to learn, not fail, learn, 
from the failures or from the mistakes that people are making so that we can do better next time. When people, when companies at least are addressing something or at least are doing some of the work, give them some credibility because they are doing something. And yes, they are failing. Yes, they are doing something wrong. But then again, what are you doing? What are you doing to move the needle? How are you supporting the company? Because it's easy and it's cheap to sit on the front row side saying that ah, da, 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 they are not doing the work, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just here just spreading salt. It's not about me. Um, I'm translating a Dutch saying, and I know it, it's going to be wrong and I'm going to be bombarded by it. I won't say it, but it is not right to be complaining or to be addressing something whilst you are not within the company working on that goal. If you're working on that goal and you're complaining, then I totally get you. But if you are not within that company or you're not supporting that company to do better, who are you? Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. <laughs> That's it, Megan. <laughs> yeah, I would say beyond everything that we've already talked about with employee engagement data, all these small moments and rituals that we can build upon, um, ask the folks on your team, especially if you are a leader, ask yeah. the folks on your team, what inspires you to be here? Or what excites exactly. you to be here? What gets in the way of that excitement? And let's, expl uh, let's explore those everyday interactions because like uh, those... Inter everyday interactions, the culmination of those small events, that is the tipping point of whether someone stays or goes. And exactly. so yeah. how you allocate work or assign work to people, those stretch projects, who's taking on um, those tasks of like setting up meetings or the notes or those administrative tasks, like are those uh, pushed out fairly to everyone? How are decisions made? <laughs> That's a are good one. <laughs> like the opportunities at the organization? Yeah. What do your mentorship efforts look like? So there, mm -hmm. there's so many dimensions to the employee working experience and it's worth examining all of them. So ask yeah. the people, what keeps you here? Because it may be different. You, you may think, oh, my salary is really exciting to me. Fine, great. But that's not gonna be the case for other people. So find yeah. out what resonates with them and then work from there in bolstering, uh, yeah. yeah. Ask them their aspiration, but also one thing that a lot of companies are not addressing, which I feel like it's money or low hanging fruit, it's especially low hanging fruit, is asking the people who have already left to be real about why they left the company, because it might be that bad manager and also track. Are there a lot of people leaving a certain department under a certain person? Excellent. Mm -hmm. Are there maybe challenges in the results of that department? And a lot of people are leaving. Ask your people, because again, in the beginning, I shared that when your company is having a good workplace culture and has a good DEI, you have a brand ambassador. Better yet, when somebody leaves with pain, but leaves for something better, you can still create a brand ambassador for life with your alumni. Again, okay. yes. you don't have to spend that much money on marketing. So what are you doing? What are you doing to address why people are leaving the workplace? Have you had that honest heart to heart conversation with them? And what are you, what are you doing to prevent people from leaving, from making that step? So I do, I really like what you shared, uh, Megan, regarding um, yeah. asking them, but sometimes if people don't feel safe to share, 
mm. maybe you need to share anonymous surveys so that at least they can be honest there because sometimes yeah. people are working in environments where they don't feel safe and they will feel like they are the whistleblower of their of the company of their um of of their department so let's don't let's don't put people in boxes so rachel thank you for watching as well and julie is also watching d and i should be included in the process of strategic decision making and often not culture yes. is strategy for business so <laughs> DEI is net, it's, it's just as important as the culture. So address that as well. Coming back to the questions, um, where should companies start when they want to use the advice you shared? With the people. Where they start? With the people and listening the to the people always. Yeah. And we talked about this now during this podcast, they're at the core of your organization. They make your organization successful. They are your strategic asset. They are your competitive advantage, but they're also the soul of your company. So mm. start where you need to start and listen. Don't just ask questions and service are super important, but also listen. Um, have the conversations and and spend some time with people to actually, you know, to get to know them a little bit further and to reach a little bit beyond the simple answer to the question, but understanding what is going on. So you can really make some meaningful change and some meaningful progress. But be transparent because you just Absolutely. putting out a survey or you just having a conversation just because and they not hear anything from you within three months or within a half year or maybe within a year. Yeah. Next time no. they won't participate in a survey because that's right. how you left them. Now yeah. actions speak louder than words. So it always exactly. needs to be followed by what is the action we learn from this conversations. We learn from this survey. Now these are the actions we're going to take to address those for exactly. sure. Karen. Yeah. And Oh, sorry. <laughs> you wanted Megan, just come in, Megan. No worries. <laughs> on Regina, as Regina's point there is that, you know, it is such a gift to be able to have these type of conversations. So mm -hmm. for any organizational leaders out there, please do not feel like you are entitled to this transparency or these conversations. And this is a way in which you can fall susceptible to that transactional interaction we talked about earlier, right? So how is it that you can honor that psychological contract by truly integrating what is being disclosed to you? Um, yeah. and really showing those efforts. So just wanted to add that in there, that the psychological contract is so powerful when it comes to yeah. the data as well. Especially, especially. I love that. Thank you. And Karen? For sure. I would say start by getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> right? This is about Welcome shifting. Welcome to my world. Yes. <laughs> so it's about shifting the, your culture to one of bravery and vulnerability. And that's not, you know, those are not often words people associate with work, but it has to be that way. And you know there are going to be missteps along the way and tons of grace is just absolutely necessary in all of this. Um, so that's a good mindset <laughs> shift uh, place to start. You mentioned two words and my my brain was just like Brene Brown. Mm. So for yes. the companies or for the leaders that feel a little bit challenged about activating their vulnerability and showing up with courage, 
I would say definitely read or listen to one of Brene Brown's book because she is amazing. But also maybe if you if you're you know not a reader or you don't like books, just watch her TED talk or just watch her Netflix uh, documentation where she shares something about showing up vulnerability. Because when you show up vulnerability, people will activate their vulnerability and be honest about what it is, how they want to work, how they want to help out the company, and how they want to help the company grow. Because when the company grows, when the people grow, the company grows. Repeat, when the people grow, the company grow. Right. <laughs> so um, we're almost at the end. Aww. And I always ask this question because it's so important for us to think far ahead, even though this whole COVID lockdown mind game, I'm thinking like every day, I'm thinking like a week ahead, what's beyond that, don't mind. But I still am going to ask this question. 2025, we are in 2021 right now. What is your wish for 2025 when it comes to humanizing the workplace and when it comes to employee retention? You shared so many insights, so many things, but what do you wish to see in 2025? And I'll start with Megan. If I could boil it down to two things. One, okay. that organizations take DEI and B strategy as seriously as they take their financial analysis, any other strategy. Exactly. And stop treating DEI and B like an extracurricular activity. It is a robust part of your sustainability and humanizing the workplace. And the other thing too is be clear on why you care about diversity mm -hmm. and belonging. If you don't know why you're doing it, everything thereafter doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I want to add a third part on it. Please. Hold your managers accountable for the DEI strategies. Thank you. Hold them yes. accountable for that data that is leaking. Hold them accountable also when they are bringing diverse people in applaud them also but tie it into tie it into i'm losing the word but the promotional conversation that happens every year the yearly review yeah the performance yeah. review tie it into that one as well you just made my day yes well <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> regina oh i have great visions for our future but four years is a short time so let me think about what we can realistically achieve i hope that we can get to a place where we can create a psychological safety within a lot of organizations so yeah. there's no more need for employee hotlines and complaint lines and things like that which are funneled supposedly, um, you know, anonymously. And it's, it's always such a weird space where you don't feel safe to be yourself and to share your thoughts and feelings. So you have to go to some kind of tool and then you never know what the, what the results is. So um, yeah. I'm not uh, bad-mouthing HR at all, but I think some I of am. those tools are... Um, <laughs> are they need to step need up to hr needs to step up that's it yeah well maybe some of those things shouldn't live at hr i think we need to exactly. redefine what that actually means yeah. yeah um but i hope that we can create spaces where where people respect each other and and create that space where we can have the conversations just with the persons that you are referring to versus sort of anonymously trying to solve yeah. things yeah I totally love that. Thank you, Regina. And Karen? Yes, gosh, it's shocking that 2025 is not that far away. I know. <laughs> I think my greatest wish is that we can stop making the business case 
for a DEI and B. I mean, we've um, never had to make a business case for having men in the workplace. So <laughs> I really have a lot of hope <laughs> that we, at that point, will be well on our way to working ourselves out of a job by then. And that, you know, the future of work is truly um, a better place. And I'm, I'm kind of an optimist that way, but I have a feeling that all of us here are, and that's why we're doing this. You're just leaving me like that. You're just dropping something like the business case for men. And my mind goes like, next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my mind goes like, interesting. What if there was a business case for men? Because apparently we do have to have a business case for all the other aspects. And also uh, something that I think that Megan or one of you shared before that all these best practices is ideal. It's good to learn from them, but you cannot take them as a copy paste formula, just as you know, the, all the franchise formula that you copy paste and you put them elsewhere. Some people won't adopt that. Some people don't like that. And if you don't ask your people what they need, all these strategies that you are implementing will not work you have to include your people as well. So I'm hoping that by 2025, we can see more organizations embracing diversity and we can see more companies that get it, that are doing the work, that are falling, but still standing up and get it. I'm seeing a lot of comments coming in, so I'm going to address that as well. Um, let me see, Mark. Mark Setney is sharing, exactly, we need to be able to feel uncomfortable and dare to be vulnerable and acknowledge our blind spots. Exactly, and willing to work on them and realize that this is also an ongoing process. Mark, amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being awesome. And Bibi is sharing, great book suggestion, Renee Brown, Call to Courage. Choosing courage and vulnerability opens up to love, joy, and belonging. Exactly. <laughs> Bring us closer to wholehearted living. It changes the kind of partner, parent, and professional we are. We live brave and authentic. I see a Brene Fryan here. <laughs> Mark Setney, great points you all made. Thank you. Bibi Smith, also thank you. Yes, thank you for everybody who's watching. And also know that... Within a few days, this live broadcast is also available on the favorite podcast channel. So if you want to listen back, you can definitely listen back. I encourage you to listen back because they all shared amazing conversations or also amazing insights. And that's something that you can definitely use starting from today, preferably yesterday. But let's start. Let's give you a fresh start starting from today or maybe some countries tomorrow Start thinking about how you can amplify DEI within your company and lower your turnover, lower people who are leaving your company. That's it. So I'm bringing back, uh, let me see, I'm bringing back my slide. I want to say thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And next week I will be having a conversation about how to uh, work in a digital workspace when you are a preneur. And the reason why I'm saying a preneur, because some of the people are side hustlers in the workplace. Some of the people are entrepreneurs or some of the people are solopreneurs. I want to address all the different preneurs and want to encourage you with a conversation with three amazing women, just similar to the today, but it's a different conversation about the digital workspace. And we are going to it's going to be awesome. 
this is how it works when you bring in diverse people with diverse thoughts, with diverse minds, instead of talking about them, including them. My name is Vivian Aqua, and until next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome.